Last time I preached was two weeks ago, and at that time we wrapped up and I explained the reason why we were ending a sermon series we had been doing on Elijah, which leads to that big question always, well, what's next and where do we go from here? And I prayed over and thought through a lot of options, and ultimately I came to the idea that we were going to start a sermon series on what I'm going to call Whatever You Do. And it is a topical series that instead of working through books of the Bible, we're going to look at a topic jumping around scriptures, and it's going to be on the topic of work. Now, here's why I chose that as a sermon series. First of all, in this particular time of the year, I know that for many of you, this is your busy season. Those involved in agriculture and the harvest, this is where work presses on you the most. I've been thinking about our teachers and the start of a new school year. And as I've been praying for many of you and thinking about your lives, your work has been on the forefront of my mind. Related to that, in my own personal devotions a couple of weeks ago, I was heavily in the book of Proverbs, and there, there's a lot of discussion about work and, and toil and labor and where do we find value in it. And then finally, it's just that general idea that work is a huge part of our lives. If you know anything about anybody or are introduced to somebody new, what they do for a living is one of the first things that you know and learn about them. Now, from the start, I want to be clear that I understand that this series is probably going to be most relatable to those of you who are engaged in full-time employment. However, I'm going to be careful and highlight from the very start that doesn't leave the rest of you out. So, for example, students, a couple of things for you. Your school is your work right now. The work of, of deepening your understanding of the world and a lot of that school work is designed to help you figure out what is God's calling for your life and how can I be trained in an eventual job. I'm sure all of you often get asked, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And so a lot of what I say is going to include and incorporate you. And then another segment of people are retirees. Those who have completed their regular employment, and, and while I know that won't be as focused on you, many people at that stage of life ask the big question, well, if I'm not punching a clock anymore, if I'm not sitting on a tractor any longer, what is my purpose? And what is life about now? And so I hope to direct some of those questions toward you as well. And how we're going to do this, this is going to be a, a six-week sermon series. The first three sermons are going to more look at work in a negative light. The struggles, the problems that we have with our work. And then the last three will hopefully bring some encouragement and some direction to the way that we think about work from a biblical perspective. So if we're going to start this sermon series asking about questions and the purpose and meaning of our work, it seemed very appropriate to begin by looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to look at two different texts from Ecclesiastes. First, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 through 23, and then chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. The words, of course, are on the screen behind me, but if you'd like to follow along, they're found, first of all, on page 657, and then we'll turn to page 658. 
Again, first of all, from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. It says, I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And then jumping ahead to chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. The preacher continues, Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, they, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm sure all of you know, especially those who are employed, that once you get into a job, a lot of the days just kind of blend into each other and you handle your daily tasks and you continue to go on. But every once in a while, you have one of those days. I wanted to start this morning by telling the story of one of those days that I had and will forever remember of my work back when I was a freshman in college. Uh, then, wanting to make as much money as possible, I got an off-campus job and had a job where I would go to a UPS transfer facility and unload trucks from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. every single night. I got the job originally as a seasonal hire for the Christmas rush and then kept it on for a couple of months afterwards. And it was good money. But there was one day where getting ready for that job, I was paying attention to the news and realized that there was a, a big snowstorm that we were expecting to come through that evening. For a good amount of time, I really weighed whether or not I even wanted to go in and thought hard about possibly just calling off and, and not going in. But I realized I needed the money. I've been doing this for a reason. I wanted to earn that paycheck. And so I decided to go in and 
As soon as I got there, I realized that 30 to 50% of my coworkers had wrestled with the same thing and they decided to stay home. And so the management was really happy with those of us that did show up and took us a little bit longer to get the jobs done. But sure enough, after I punched out, went outside and already we had four to six inches of snow on the ground. To make a very long story short, while on the way home then, my car lost its traction, got off of the balance and ended up driving into a ditch. And I had to use more money than what I had earned that evening to get a tow truck to come pull my car out of the ditch. And by the time I got back to my dorm after six o'clock that morning, I was exhausted and tired and disappointed. All that work had been wasted because I had lost more money in going into work than I had actually earned. Now I tell that one story of one shift of my life being keenly aware of the fact that there are many of you that could tell much harder, much more difficult stories. I know the story of many of you in the dairy industry that for months, because of the price of feed and, and all of the responsibilities of paying to take care of your animals, milked at a loss. And all the work that you were doing wasn't earning any money. I know the, the many stories of you that labored very hard and had a plan and things were going well. And then all of a sudden there was the unexpected emergency costs that came up. Uh, hospital stays, the bills that had to be paid to cover that or, or a fire or a tragedy. And now everything that you are working toward, all of your labor was going to rebuilding and reestablishing what you had. Pastor Brent just paid for, prayed for those affected by Hurricane Ian. And I think that's their story. They rebuilt after the last hurricane. And now all of that has been damaged and they've got to start over again. And their labor seems to be in vain. I think of students said I'd include you, and ask that question over and over again. They spend so much time studying these topics and these tests and learning this thing, and they ask, when in real life am I ever going to need to know this? And for many of you, you maybe never will. But for a few, this might become a part of how God reveals what he wants from your life. Those are the kinds of questions that start to get asked when you look at life and you want to know what is the point of all of this? And that's the question of Ecclesiastes. Depending on the translation that the teacher or the, the preacher often credited as Solomon, the wise king, son of David, he looks at life. And he asks that really big question, what are we doing here? What is the purpose and the meaning of our lives and where can we find it? And in asking that question, he looks at a whole lot of different areas where people try to find meaning and purpose in their lives. He looks, for example, at his wisdom. The pursuit of knowledge and knowing about our world and how to live in it. He looks at work like we've been looking at. He looks at pleasure and, and finding joy and happiness in life. And over and over again, what he finds, and again, depending on the translation, in the ESV, it's usually described as it's just vain. It's vanity. 
In the NIV translation, which I liked a little bit better, you would use the word over and over again, meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless is everything that we do. And from a certain perspective that the teacher chooses to come from, a lot of our work, our labor, is so meaningless. Let's start by looking at what he says about work in chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. And there's no uh, hiding the fact that right away from the beginning, it reveals this is coming from the perspective of someone who hated all their toil. And the reason why they hated all of their toil is because they, again, started looking at the big picture of what everything was that they were doing. And this was a person who, as it says in verse 21, had worked with wisdom and with knowledge and with skill. He was someone that had really put forth a lot of effort into developing and cultivating and growing work. And as it says in verse 23, his days were full of sorrow and his work in, in, his work in a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. He was working so hard that though he slept at night, his mind and his heart could never truly rest because so much of his attention was consumed by work. And yet, here was the real struggle. When you look for this hard work and endless toil to give you meaning in life, you end up butting against the most uh, fundamental of problems. It's a problem that can be summarized, the proverbial statement, you can't take it with you. Or more tongue-in-cheek, there are no trailer hitches on hearses. You see, the issue that frustrated the teacher is the fact that if someone works and toils to prosper and to grow throughout their life, at some point their life is going to come to an end. And then everything that they had worked for is going to be handed over to somebody else. Either for them to just take all of the money and the, the, the possessions, the, the business that was built and to waste it and to use it for their own pleasure that the other who earned the money never got to enjoy. Or to just not work as hard and destroy what was left. The son will take over the family business or you're going to leave your job and they're quickly going to fill that position by hiring somebody else and who knows what they're going to do with what you worked for. If they're not as careful, wise and hardworking as you were, all that you spent your lifetime cultivating, developing is going to be handed over to another and they may destroy it or waste it. And we know the stories, right? The restaurant's not quite as good once the sun takes over. The farm is not taken as much care of and, and it starts to deteriorate. And that leads to the difficult question. If that's what's gonna eventually happen to everything that I work so hard to obtain, is there any purpose in this? What is the point? It seems so meaningless, a total vanity. And that is something that a lot of people struggle with. What am I doing with all, all of this for? Especially if all that work is going to end up getting wasted. The money earned so quickly evaporates toward things that don't bring me any joy. 
what is the point of all of this hard work? And from a certain pessimistic view, there is no point. It's all meaningless. Well, that leads to chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. So if the problem is that my labor, my work, eventually is going to be handed over to somebody else who doesn't take as much care or, or protection of it, well, then maybe we can come around with a creative workaround. A few years ago, I came across a new acronym, a new term, that I've started to hear a little bit more of, and it's called a DINK couple, D-I-N-K. That acronym stands for Dual Income, No Kids. And whether or not you know of the acronym, there is a growing number. And you can see all kinds of articles in the culture right now discussing couples who are married that choose to not have children. And they do so often to say, well, because children are expensive. And when we both work, we both find fulfillment in our work. And then we have all of the money and I have no obligation for what to do with anybody else that has claim over any of those funds. We can save up quickly and easily and travel all that we want. There's no other responsibilities. And it's true. If you don't ever have a spouse, if you don't have children, and there's nobody else trying to pull at the, the funds that you earn through your labor. And so you have all the claim to all of your own finances. And that's the, the person that we meet in verses 7 to 8 of this text. There's someone that they don't have anybody else that they're working toward or for. It's just themselves. But while they may answer some of the problems of chapter 2 creates some of their own new struggles. And that struggle summarized in the question of verse 8. For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Is it enough to just work for myself, to constantly be laboring if I don't have anybody to share this with? And the preacher concludes that this too is vanity and an unhappy business. And he then goes on to explain that why working alone is problematic, but, but shows the difference that just working with someone else can make. He says in verse 9 that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. It doesn't just mean that, that two people can accomplish more than one person can accomplish, but it's probably referring more to the fact that when work gets hard, it is so much better to have someone else that's there to say, keep going. I'm here. I'll encourage you. I'll give you my ideas of how else you can accomplish the same task. Let's do this together. And there's a greater reward because of that. He continues thinking about what happens if you fall. If you're alone, you can fall and there's no one to know what happened, where you fell, and you could be injured laying by yourself for a long time. But when you're with somebody else, they see and they can offer their hand and help you up. Consider sleeping all alone on a cold night. And yet how two can help keep each other warm. How if attacked, you can defend yourself if you're one person, but if you have someone defending them, you're, you with them, you're much easier to be protected. And finally, he draws an analogy to a rope, saying that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
Like all of those small, thin strands by themselves are not able to bear much weight. In a rope, the more that you bind those strands together, the stronger, the more powerful that rope will become. So yes, if you're alone, the money is all yours, but there's no greater purpose or meaning in your work. That's not to say that it's any better or worse. It's just highlighting the fact again that from this particular pessimistic perspective, it's still meaningless. Now, this text from Ecclesiastes 4 has often been a, a pretty popular one for wedding ceremonies, and I know that some of you have used this as your text for that very purpose. And the point of that text is often to highlight the fact that human community provides encouragement and strength. But in those weddings, oftentimes we contemplate, well, what might that third strand be and look like? And, and I want to get to that point in this text as well too soon. But, but first, let's just sit in the struggle of these texts. I will confess, this was a hard sermon to prepare and to think about. Because it is so very depressing. Work consumes so much of our lives. Again, think about it. From when the time we are students, we are learning, we are becoming educated, we're exploring different things, we're filling our minds, and we're trying to find our place in this world. And then finally, when all the schooling is done and all the tuition bills have been paid, we step into the workforce. And for a large chunk of our lives, we spend our waking hours laboring, striving, working in order to try to keep an earning and raise a living. And the hope is that if we are wise enough and careful enough with our savings, if we live long enough and stay healthy enough, maybe by the time that we are 70 years old, we'll finally be able to rest a little bit more. And then try to figure out, well, what's the purpose of the life that I lived? And what do I do now that I am retired? And then we wonder, was there any meaning to all of that? And when you take that kind of view of things, it is depressing. We can spend a lot of our times wondering, well, exactly to what end? And while I, I do really want that question to, to start to hit home and invite you to struggle and wrestle with those questions for yourself, I also want to take a moment to just point to where we are going to end up going. Because the point of this morning is not to send you back into this work week depressed, wondering, you know, is there any point to all of this and to have you meaningless? The point is to ask those questions, well, why are you working? And in asking those questions to start, instead of finding depression and meaninglessness, to do what the whole point of Ecclesiastes is, is to ask, well, where can I find true meaning and purpose? Where does not just a pessimistic attitude, but a proper view of work fit so that I do find purpose in the work that I am doing? Because there is a way in, work in which work does have meaning. I promise we're going to return at the end of this sermon series to Ecclesiastes and look at that in more detail. But for this morning, let me at least allude to the fact that there is a point to our work. 
The perspective that the, the teacher chooses to look at life, this pessimistic perspective, this jaded perspective, is, is the view of a materialist. One who in many ways removes God from the picture. And if there is no God, then there is no meaning to our lives, meaning there's no meaning to our labor and our work. And one of the things I think this text should encourage us to do is to look at all of those who live lives without an understanding of the God that created the existence that we have and created us to live in this world and to recognize with pity how meaningless their lives are and how they are striving and working and trying to come up with a purpose for their lives that they'll never find outside of the existence and the work of God. But for us, for the book of Ecclesiastes, when you do recognize there is a God that stands above and beyond our lives, who gives us this life and has called us to our work for a meaning and a purpose, when that is understood, it changes everything. Now we do have a reason to live, and there is meaning to our work. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the purpose of our existence is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so if that's why we exist, how does our work fit into that? And again, that's where we're going to be headed ultimately in this sermon series but for to this week and for today, wrestle with those questions. What about you, students? As you think about your future and where God is calling you and preparing you and how you're going to fit into this world that he's created, how are you going to view work in such a way that isn't just about you and earning money and trying to do something worthwhile with your time? For those working now, why are you working? Where do you find joy and pleasure in your work? Where do you find struggles? What is the purpose that you get up every day to do what you are to do? For those of you who are retired, what is the point of life now? What do I do with my time? And what is God still calling me to do in this world so that I'm not just sitting around? And I hope, again, that as we think through and start to wrestle with those questions with the author of Ecclesiastes, it'll start driving us toward trying to find those answers of meaning and purpose in the word of the Lord. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, it is good to address you, to know you, and to be known by you. It is good because without you, I don't know how we live our lives. And I do, with us, look with pity on those who try to just invent meaning and purpose without you. And it's vanity. It's meaningless. Lord, for those who struggle with meaning, I pray that we might be a light to point them to the hope that we have in you. And I pray especially for us that as we work through this sermon series that you will give us answers to why it is you have called us to different tasks and how we can find meaning in our work, how we cannot get overly consumed by our employment, but how in everything 
you would be glorified and enjoyed, not only in this life, but in the life to come. So bless us as we explore this together. And even in this week, as we ask these big questions, guide us toward the answers that have been found in your word and through your son, in whose name we pray. Amen.